Everybody's made me cry before I start talking before. <laughs> thank you, Don. And thank you for those of you who knew about my head cold and were praying for me this week. It was the shortest head cold in my life. God heard your prayers. Don doesn't have to read this today. Um, it's such a pleasure to be here with you guys. It is one of my favorite things to do, to come to Moms by Grace and talk. And it often seems that I end up teaching on subjects that end up challenging me the most as I prepare them. And my prayer is that today's topic will both encourage and challenge you as well. This year, you've been studying different aspects of how to live a balanced life. And I was asked to teach about balancing the temporal with the eternal. I have to tell you that I approached this topic with a little bit of concern. How would I address the idea of balancing temporal things with moms of very young children? I can't think of anything more temporal than a toddler. Your days during this period of your life begin early, they end late, and they're filled with demands on your time and energy from many everyday temporal things. So I want to assure you from the very beginning that I'm not here to beat you up and tell you to do more than you're already doing. In fact, as I began to study this topic more deeply, I began to realize it's about much more than dividing up your hours and minutes and choosing to spend some on spiritual activities and some on temporal activities. It's really more about being aware of what most has hold of your heart, the eternal or the temporal, and seeing how that priority then affects every other part of your day, even the most mundane moments. I also have to say that this is a huge topic. I've started to dive into it. It could take up far more time than we have this morning. So I'm not going to be able to cover like every aspect of balancing the temporal with the eternal but I've tried to narrow it down to some principles that will most affect you as a mom of young children. And I hope this will be a starting point for your own studies as you consider what God's word has to say on this topic. So let's start by giving good definitions for our terms temporal and eternal. This is point number one in your outline. Temporal is defined as of or relating to time, pertaining to or concerned with the present life or this world, I'm sure it wouldn't take you long to come up with a whole list of temporal things in your life as a mom. Diapers, dishes, laundry, meal planning, cooking, cleaning, shopping, bills, activity coordination, and taxi driving, just to name a few. Temporal things would also include everything that we take in through our five senses, like a beautiful sunset or the breeze on our faces, the sound of the kids playing, or the feel of a shower after a really long day. For all of us, the temporal things of life fill our days and require much of our attention. Eternal, on the other hand, is defined as without beginning or end, lasting forever, always existing, ceaseless, endless, enduring, immutable. Pam Hardy says the eternal is an altogether different realm, completely unhindered by the restraints of time. It is the realm of the kingdom of God. The eternal encompasses all that we cannot experience through our physical senses, in the usual way that we interact with the material things of this world. You can think of the things that are eternal as the things that will endure beyond our life here on earth. God's word is eternal. The soul of every human being is eternal. Our faith in and relationship with the Lord are eternal. And our future inheritance, including the new heaven and the new earth that are going to be waiting for us someday, those are eternal. 
Scripture has an interesting way of distinguishing between the temporal and the eternal by describing things that are seen and not seen. Let's look at an example of this in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. And it's printed for you there on your outline. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are not seen are eternal. The things which are seen are temporal. The Greek word for temporal here is an idiom. So for example, in English, if I say, that's a piece of cake, I don't literally mean it's a baked good sitting on a plate. It means that it's something that's easy, not hard to do. That's what we mean when we say something is an idiom. So here, temporal literally means from apart. So you have the whole, and then you have a part, and then you have a little itty-bitty piece of the part. It pertains to a really relatively short period of time, and it emphasizes the temporary nature of the event or the state. On the other hand, eternal literally means an age. It's used of persons and things that are in their nature endless. So we have this contrast between this very short period of time and this endless permanent period of time. We also have a contrast between the momentary light affliction of this life that is compared to the eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. I don't think that Paul is trying to minimize the difficulties and the struggles that we face in this life. He's not trying to say that the trials of this life are easy or that the circumstances of our lives will never be difficult for us. They are, that they're just light and momentary. It's really all in the comparison. The afflictions that I'm experiencing now, they will seem like nothing when I get to heaven and experience all that God has waiting for me. As big as those trials are now, they're nothing when compared to the heavenly reward we will receive when this life is over. The picture he has here is of two weights being placed on a scale. One is this small, insignificant weight, and the other is this huge weight. And if you were to place them both on each side of the scale, there's not going to be any competition, right? It's going to go just like that. There's no question which is heavier, and therefore really of more value. The value of the eternal cannot be compared to the value of the temporal. It's so much larger that it's beyond comparison. And I want you to notice one more thing in these verses. Not only are our earthly trials small in comparison to the eternal weight of glory, but it is our afflictions that are actually producing the eternal weight of glory. The things we suffer in this life are not without value, but we realize that value more in eternity than we do here on earth. And how is that eternal glory built up? Look back at the verse again. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are unseen are eternal. I think that what we find here in these verses is the key to understanding how to balance the eternal with the temporal. In most things in life, and especially in our afflictions, there is the seen and the unseen. And the question is, what will we choose to look at? Which will we consider to be the more important? However, I think we need to dig a little deeper into what the Bible means by the unseen. So we're going to look at a couple of other passages. First, you have Romans 8, 23 through 25. And not only this, but also we ourselves 
having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, for in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So we can see here that the unseen is closely linked to hope. What is biblical hope? It is looking forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial. Hope says, I believe that this life is not all that there is. There is something better that has been promised to me. And I not only hold on to that promise for tomorrow, but I make all my choices today in light of it. And look again at verse 23. As believers, we've been given the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. When this verse says that we have the first fruits of the Spirit, it means that we have a deposit or an initial payment pointing to all the blessings that are yet to come. We are eagerly waiting for our adoption as sons, for the redemption of our bodies. No more sin, no more sickness, no more death, a new heaven and a new earth. Eternity with Christ. These are the things we hope for. These are the things that we eagerly wait for. And yet, while the Spirit points us towards things to come, he also begins a new life in each of us from the moment we believe. We begin to realize the reality of eternal things now in this life as the Spirit begins the process of sanctification and transforms us into the image of Christ. So we have both the reality of the new life, eternal life, while we still live in this very temporal world, and we have the promise of a glorious inheritance waiting for us in heaven, where the temporal will be gone forever. The other passage I want you to see is Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Again, hope and the unseen are paired together. Faith is the confident belief that the world is not all that there is, that there is a better future waiting for us, a future that has been made possible by Christ's sacrifice for us. Pam Hardy says, we cannot see our faith, although oftentimes we may see the practical outworking of it. We cannot physically touch God, although we see the assurance of his existence everywhere we look. Our faith in God, our relationship with him, and our entire spiritual life all rest naturally and securely in the arms of the eternal. So we have our definitions of the temporal and the eternal. The temporal are those things that we can see, the things that pertain to our life here on earth. These things are temporary, they last only a short time, and compared to the eternal, they have little value. The eternal are those things that we cannot see, the things that will last beyond our life here on earth. Everything related to our faith and our future hope belongs to the eternal. As we turn toward talking about how to balance these two things, I think there are a couple of things we need to note right up front. First, these two priorities should not be equal in our lives. In other words, we're not talking about creating a balance between two equal but conflicting priorities. The eternal by far should have priority over the temporal. Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, and I get to beat Chris Mueller here, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We want our treasure to be oriented toward heaven more than it is toward our life here on earth. And we want our hearts to long for the eternal 
more than it longs for the temporal. Remember that picture of the weights that we talked about in 2 Corinthians, the small, insignificant weight of our affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory? We should clearly give more attention to the eternal than we do to the temporal. The second thing I think we should note is that we're not talking about completely neglecting the temporal in order to give all of our priority to eternal things. This is where that concern that I expressed at the beginning of my talk becomes important. As moms of young children, you have many temporal responsibilities right now. Things that may seem on the surface to be insignificant and of little value. I want to encourage you today to look for the unseen things as you live each day very much in the scene right now. I want to help you see the eternal value of what you're doing right here, right now in your life, and especially the difficulties and afflictions that you face. In being a mother, they're producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. I believe that God uses the years of raising children to do a lot of spiritual training in our lives. While we're parenting our kids, God is parenting us. You cannot afford to say, I don't have time for a quiet time right now. I don't have time for prayer. I'm just too busy trying to keep up. You need those things more than ever so that you will have wisdom, strength, and resilience during these very important years. If we want to find things of true value in our everyday lives, we have to know what it is we're looking for. God's word's the only true guide. It's how we spend time with our Heavenly Father and hear His instructions for us. It's how we learn to recognize the things that are unseen. If you give very little time to being in His Word, then you have little hope of making the eternal a priority. I want to spend a good amount of time now looking at Colossians 3. It's a chapter that I think helps us to see how the eternal and the temporal interact with one another in our daily lives and how giving priority to the eternal then has a positive effect on our temporal lives. Colossians 3 is printed on your outline, though it's split between points 2 and 3, so you'll have to flip back when we get there. We're going to read the whole chapter first, and then we're going to come back and highlight certain principles from it. So Colossians 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. So... As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, 
with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Such good stuff. I thought it was important to study the whole chapter because I don't want you to miss that Paul starts off by exhorting us to set our mind on the things above, right? The eternal, not on the things that are on earth, the temporal. Then he tells us what that means for us internally. He tells us what changes should happen in our heart as a result of setting our minds on the eternal. And then he ends by giving us practical applications for how that works out in our families and in our work. We see very clearly in this chapter that we're told to set the eternal as a priority over the temporal, but then the eternal turns right around and has effect how we live life in this temporal world. We do not stop living in the here and now, but our focus on the eternal transforms how we live in the here and now. So we're now going to look at the commands that God gives us relating to the eternal and the temporal in this chapter, and we're going to start with the commands of the eternal. We find our first command in verse 1, keep seeking the things above. Verse 1 says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says that to seek things above is to desire and strive for those things. It's to see that one's interests are centered in Christ, that one's attitudes, ambitions, and whole outlook on life are molded by Christ's relation to the believer, and that one's allegiance to him takes precedence over all other earthly allegiances. This command is quickly followed by the second in verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Again, the commentary tells us that to set the mind on things above has, among other connotations, that of giving such things a large place in one's thought life, seeing to it that the bent of the inner nature, the governing tendency of thought and will is toward God. It all starts with the inner thought life. What do you think most about? How much time do you give to thinking about your relationship with the Lord? Yes, you have a lot to do. But while you're washing dishes, folding laundry, or vacuuming the carpet, where do your thoughts go? What do you dwell on? What do you think about when you find some unexpected quiet moments? We have a deliberate choice to make about what we make a priority in our thought lives. The next commands we find in verses 5 and 8, and I'm going to summarize them all as put off. So in verse 5 through 8 says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, 
wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its, with its evil practices. When we make eternal things a priority and begin to set our minds on things above, things start to happen within our hearts. We care about dealing with sin. We care about leaving our old life behind. We guard the purity of our marriage relationship. We watch for those uncontrolled desires that want to take control. We put to death that discontentment that's always wanting something more. And we especially change the way we talk to each other, putting off anger, malice, slander, abusive speech, and lying. Ladies, how much would our lives here on earth change if we focused on the eternal priorities? If we gave up our desires to have life go a certain way that we've imagined? If we stop being discontent with what house we live in, what car we drive, how much money our husband makes, or what vacations we're able to afford? If we stop getting angry at our husbands and our kids, if we're honest with each other? It's important to think about things like your schedule and the routines of your home. It's important to think about providing nutritious and tasty meals for your family, how you'll discipline your children, what kind of education will be best for them. It's okay to desire a good marriage relationship with your husband, to have financial goals, to buy a house or a car, but we're gonna approach all of these things in a different way if we set our minds on the things above and leave our worldly desires behind. And not only are we told to put off, we're also told to put on, which is our next command. Verse 10 says that we have put on a new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. When we're born again, we start the process of putting off the things of the old nature and putting on the things of the new nature. This renewal involves a true knowledge of the things of God as we're made more and more into the image of Christ. How can there be spiritual growth if there's no knowledge of what we're supposed to be growing into? How can you have knowledge if there's no exposure to the word of God? And then look again at verse 12 to see what it is we're to put on. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let me give some quick definitions to the terms given in these verses. Compassion is a pity and a tenderness that's expressed towards the suffering and the miserable. Kindness kind of combines the idea of goodness and kindliness and graciousness. It's a sweetness of disposition. Humility is thinking lowly of ourselves. Gentleness is the opposite of arrogance and self-assertiveness. That temper of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good and therefore without disputing and resisting. Patience is a self-restraint that enables one to bear injury and insult without resorting to hasty retaliation. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other are really an expansion of the idea of patience. Bearing with one another is a willingness to bear with those whose faults or unpleasant traits are an irritant to us. Forgiving each other is a willingness to forgive those we have grievances against. And finally, love. All of these previous things are part of love, but love is also its own attribute. This is agape love. It's a self-sacrificial love 
that doesn't come from feelings or a natural affection, but from truly looking out for the welfare of others. The Vines Bible Dictionary says that Christian love has God for its primary object and expresses itself, first of all, in implicit obedience to his commandments. If we love God and we love others, we will show compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness to them. We see again that eternal priorities lead to internal changes of the heart. Take a moment to evaluate, do you display these qualities in your home? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? Do you forgive freely and overlook offenses against you? And how do you think your day-to-day temporal life might change if you were to grow in some of these areas? How would it affect your relationship with your husband? How would it change the way that you parent your children? You're going to have some time to discuss that during your group time. Our next command is in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. Christ told us about this peace in John 14, 27. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And Philippians 4, 6, and 7 also says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. During the years we are parenting, there are so many things that we can be anxious about. We can worry over their health, their safety, their development, their education, their friendships, and their salvation. But God tells us that worry and anxiety don't have a place in the Christian's life. Christ has given us his peace. And when we do start to feel that worry creeping into our hearts, God has told us in Philippians 4 that the answer is prayer. We've already said that we cannot afford to say we have no time for the word of God. It's through his instructions to us that we will learn to be godly parents. But it is equally true that we cannot afford to say we have no time for prayer. The way that Christ's peace will rule in our hearts is by taking all of our concerns and our anxieties and our questions to him. Let your requests be made known to him, no matter how big or small. He cares about your life. He cares about your kids. And he wants you to bring your requests to him so that you will experience his peace. There's one other command in verse 15. Be thankful. Just two words. But how much power is held in them? Develop a thankful heart. During these years that you're parenting young children, there are so many things you can complain about. Housework, laundry and dishes without end, another meal to cook, sick or grumpy kids, a strong-willed child that doesn't seem to respond to discipline, no time for yourself. Don't let grumbling and complaining take over. Find things every day to be thankful for. You can always start with the fact that God has chosen to save you. He loves you and he provides for your needs. He has blessed you with children. Find specific things to be thankful for and express that to him. Write them down in a journal that helps to remind you during days when thankfulness seems a little elusive and hard to find. Be thankful. In verse 16, we find the command, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This command has a broader application, but I want you to think about it today as it relates to your home and your children. 
We've already talked about the importance of spending time in the word for your own spiritual growth, but it's also an important part of your parenting. Every day you will teach your children something. Every day you will model for them what it means to be a Christian and what it means to follow the Lord. If you have the word of Christ within you, then you will have wisdom when it comes to parenting situations. You will know how to admonish and correct your children. You will display the joy of walking with your Savior. You will sing with them and show them what it means to be thankful. How you live this temporal life here on earth will be an example to your kids of what it means to value those things that are eternal. I want to sneak in one thing here. I know it's hard to find large amounts of time to study God's word when you have little kids. They require supervision all the time. They need help with the simplest tasks. You may not have time to do extensive Bible studies, and that's okay, but that doesn't mean that the word of Christ can't richly dwell within you. Consider carefully the time that you do have. Is it early in the morning before everybody wakes up? Do you have a consistent afternoon nap time? Maybe for some of you, it's in the evening after the kids have gone to bed. But how are you choosing to spend the time that you do have? Do you give priority to the things that are eternal? Sometimes you have to choose the best things and decide not to do that one last chore or clean up that one last mess or give yourself me time. If it's truly important to you, you will find a way to make it fit into your day. Also, consider the discipline of scripture memorization as a way for the word of Christ to richly dwell within you. Memorizing scripture is a commitment, but it doesn't actually take a huge amount of time. Andrew Davis, in his book, How to Memorize Scripture for Life, I brought a few copies with me. It's very little. Anybody anybody can read this. Repetition is the key that drives everything. Saying a verse a hundred times in one day is not as helpful as saying it every day for a hundred days. You can say a verse out loud ten times sometime in your day. The absolute key to successful scripture memorization is repetition over a long period of time. And if you're putting scripture into your memory, whether it's individual verses or a longer passage, then you're able to bring it to mind any time during your day. No matter what you're doing, you will more naturally kind of meditate on it and chew on it, and you don't have to formally sit somewhere and have a quiet house in order to pull out your Bible and do it. I have a few copies of his book that I want to give away to you guys today, so if you are interested in learning more, come see me afterwards. Finally, let's look at our last eternal command in verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. He mentions thankfulness again for the third time in three verses. So that's definitely something we should pay attention to. But I also want to point out the motivation that drives everything we do in life. Whatever you do, and for most of you right now, that means spending every day with little munchkins, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. This last command is an easy thing to say, but a harder thing to evaluate in ourselves. What is your motivation for what you do as a mother? Do you take pride in your clean house, your obedient children, or your perfectly put together schedule? Do you take care of your husband, your children, and your home because you're serving the Lord, or because you want to be admired for how well you can do it? Do you get upset when everything seems to fall apart? Do you depend on the spirit to face each day or do you live life in your own strength? Are you thankful no matter what your day holds? These questions deserve some careful thought. 
So we've looked at eight commands in Colossians 3, commands that help us put our priorities in the right direction towards things that are eternal. In the last part of Colossians 3, we're going to look at four commands related to temporal life here on earth. It's important to realize, though, that these commands are not separate from the eternal commands that we've already studied. Rather, the temporal commands are a result of how we behave when we've given our priority first to eternal things. First, in verse 18, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It was God's idea to make families as the primary structure for life and civilization in this world. Yet we have so many voices that we can listen to. It's not wrong to explore your options, do your research, ask your friends what they think. But your primary resource for making decisions in this life is to talk things over with your own husband and submit to his leadership for your family. Second, teach your children to be obedient. Verse 20, children, be obedient to your parent in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. This should be the primary focus of your training when your children are very young. And this is where compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience are going to really come into play. It's going to require all of those things. Someday we pray that our children will be obedient to the Lord and experience salvation for themselves. But for now, we start to show them the way by training them to be obedient to us. Don't make excuses for why your children are misbehaving. Don't allow them to get away with disobedience because you're too tired or distracted to deal with it. And third, do not exasperate your children. Verse 21 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. If we're living for our own agendas here on earth, for our own accomplishments or our own pleasures, then we will be much more likely to provoke our children to anger. We have to face it. Our kids learn very quickly. They know when we're parenting from our own selfish motivations instead of from a biblical desire to please the Lord. I did a whole lesson on provoking your children a few years ago at Moms by Grace, and it's on the church media website if you want to learn more. Finally, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. The word for heartily literally means from the soul. These years in which you have young kids seem like they will go on forever but any older woman will tell you they're gone in the blink of an eye. Enjoy these years. Give it all you have. Work heartily in your home, but do it for the Lord rather than for men. It's not a competition, and it doesn't amount to much if you work hard as a mother so that other people will notice or appreciate you. But if you do it for the Lord, you can know that from the Lord you will receive the, re excuse me, the reward of the inheritance. Know that the hard work you do as a mother is worth the effort, but you won't necessarily be rewarded in this life for all the time and energy that you spend. But wouldn't you rather have an everlasting weight of glory that will last forever than a fleeting temporal reward that you can't take with you into eternity? Keep seeking the things above, set your mind on them, Put off sin and put on a heart that's becoming like Christ. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let his peace rule in you and be thankful. Live life his way rather than your own way. And then the decisions you have to make will become more clear to you. The relationships in your home will become more harmonious. And the work you do will have more value. This lesson this morning is very challenging. It has been challenging to me personally as I've studied it. But I also want it to be an encouragement to you. 
If you take these biblical priorities to heart, then a lot of other things about parenting will fall into place. It doesn't mean it will look the same for each of you. You each have different husbands, different kids, different directions in life that the Lord has determined for you. It also doesn't mean that you will parent perfectly. There'll be plenty of mistakes along the way. Right, Michelle? (laughs) But look around you for a moment. In the end, we all got potty trained. We all learned how to put on our own clothes. We all learned how to read and write. And your kids will too. Those aren't the most important things. Don't be anxious about those things. The Lord will direct you in the way he wants you to go if you follow him and depend on his spirit to live your life. Before we end today, I want to talk for a few last minutes about our last point, keeping it all balanced. More specifically, what does it look like when we become unbalanced? When we tend too much toward the temporal or even the eternal? What are some warning signs that we should be on the watch for? I'm going to give you three for each category. First, we're going to talk about becoming unbalanced toward the temporal. Number one, we can become imbalanced when we put too much emphasis on achievement and success. While we want to work hard and strive for excellence, we do not want to allow any desire or goal to take first place above what God wants for us so that those desires do not begin to control our lives. This could apply to some achievement that we wish to accomplish for ourselves or some achievement that we want for our children or even our husbands for that matter. This can take so many different forms it'd be impossible to list them all, but let me just give a few examples. Having too strong a desire to live in a certain neighborhood or school district. Too much focus on your child's academic achievement. Overemphasis on any particular activity, whether it's sports or music or theater or anything else. Please note, I say overemphasis. All of these activities can be wonderful and can enrich the lives of you and your kids. But if any activity or simply the number of activities is completely taking over your calendar or your bank account, then, and there's no room left for other more important things, especially like attending church and being engaged in fellowship and discipleship, then it's time to evaluate your priorities. Number two, we can become imbalanced when we put too much priority on our material possessions. In our American culture, there's always something to want, always something new on the market, and it takes a lot of effort to fight against the materialism. Pam Hardy says we set our minds on gaining possessions and begin to care far more than we should about our stuff. Then, because we're overly focused on our possessions, it should not surprise us if we eventually become fearful and anxious about losing them. The problem with all of this is that we fail to remember that it's all temporary. Remember, we're talking about priorities, not absolutes. We will buy things in this life, and it's not wrong to do so. But when we become imbalanced in this area, our wants and our projects begin to take over our hearts and our thought lives We begin to think about things that we want far too much, and our heart gets set on having that thing until it becomes a need instead of a want, and we aren't happy until we get it. And sadly, we often aren't happy after we get it either. This can be a huge area of conflict in a marriage relationship as well. Consider this, does your husband feel pressured to make more money so that you can have the things that you want? Maybe you haven't even realized that you're putting pressure on him in this way. But if you have an endless list of things that you and the children need but can't seem to afford, 
he may very well be feeling the pressure of trying to live up to your expectations. Or maybe you and your husband both struggle in this area and tend to spend more money than God has chosen to give to you. Either way, I want to point you back to Colossians 3. Be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. It's a good place to start. And number three, we can become imbalanced when we become engrossed overly much in any particular idea or method or ideology that relates to our temporal life here on earth. This can include things related to health, nutrition, exercise, education, environmental issues, politics. The list is, again, endless. It's not wrong to be excited about something you've learned or something that's worked well for you. But if you begin to think that your discovery is the discovery and that your opinion is the opinion, you're likely headed for troubled, imbalanced waters. If you find yourself spending hours researching a favorite topic and trying to convince everyone around you to come to some viewpoint that you have about some temporal issue, I caution you strongly to consider how much hold this temporal priority might have on your heart. Again, it's all about balance. We all have to choose what to eat. We all need some form of exercise. We all have to make decisions about how to train and educate our kids. We all have to make medical decisions for our families and on and on. The real questions are, what is motivating you to make that decision? Have you talked it over with your own husband and followed his leadership in the process? Have you been compassionate, kind, gentle, and patient in the way you've presented it to others? How do you react when somebody doesn't agree with you or chooses to go in a different direction from you? And why do you care so much about that particular topic in the first place? Have you set your mind on things above or on something here on earth? Obeying Colossians 3, 1 through 17 will dramatically affect how we live out Colossians 3, 18 through 25. All right, we're going to switch gears and look at how someone might be imbalanced toward the eternal. What? Is that even possible? How can it be wrong to give too much of yourself to eternal priorities? Let me suggest three ways this can happen. Number one, we become imbalanced when we give too much time to spiritual activities and then minimize or ignore our temporal responsibilities. I think one of the ways this can show up is in taking on too many ministry responsibilities while your children are young. Ministry is important, and I encourage each of you to find some way to use your own spiritual gift to build up the church and serve others. Finding a way to serve that can include your children is also extremely beneficial, and it helps to train them to think about others and not just themselves. However, if you are involved in so much ministry that your home is chaotic, the house is a constant mess, last-minute meals are quickly thrown together on a regular basis, and your children have no structure or stability in their, in their schedule, then it's time to consider whether it's time to pull back in some area. More ministry is not always better. We can also become imbalanced in this area when we neglect our responsibility just because they're temporal things and therefore not worth our effort. I'm going to give you a silly example that one that gets the point across. Cleaning the toilet is a temporal responsibility. Yes, it's definitely temporary. Yes, you'll definitely just have to do it again. No, on the surface, it doesn't have any eternal significance. But you should still clean it. Why? because we should work heartily for the Lord by serving our family, because Titus 2 tells us that we should be workers at home, because he who is faithful in a little thing is faithful in much. 
because we are thankful that God has given us indoor plumbing. (laughs) Have I mentioned the importance of being thankful? (laughs) Number two, we can become imbalanced when we, as Pam Hardy says, become so preoccupied with the world that is yet to come that we completely miss the astounding beauty and majesty of this world. This world is passing away, but it is also still God's creation, a creation that he said was good when he created it, and a creation that reveals to us much about God's own character. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Don't forget to enjoy and appreciate God's creation. It can also be a wonderful way to enjoy your children and teach them lessons about God. So go to the beach and hike a mountain, collect shells or rocks or bugs. This world may be temporary, but it's also beautiful. Enjoying God's creation can help us to worship him because who can truly sit and watch a beautiful sunset without thinking about how amazing he is? It can also help us to be thankful for all he's already given us in this life and to wonder in anticipation about all that the new heaven and the new earth will be like. And number three, we can become imbalanced when we emphasize the eternal so much that we minimize the suffering that others are sometimes going through. Life is sometimes very painful, and it simply doesn't help to tell somebody who is suffering, God is sovereign, and walk away, and expect that simple truth to be enough. I cannot say this better than Pam Hardy, so I'm going to quote her. While we absolutely find comfort and hope in the eternal promises of God's word, we must be careful not to use Bible verses indiscriminately like spiritual band-aids. In our well-intentioned efforts to comfort others, we can thoughtlessly fall back on spiritual cliches and platitudes that hurt more than they help. Never let your focus on the eternal be perceived as a lack of compassion for what the sufferer is experiencing. There is an appropriate time to remind a fellow believer of God's sovereignty and the eternal purposes being accomplished through our struggles. Yet there are times when the most comforting thing we can do for someone is to say nothing at all and simply obey the command to weep with those who weep. Always seek to show compassion and bring comfort in the face of real suffering. Our life here on earth is temporary and we won't take anything with us into eternity. But how we live our life on this earth will definitely have an impact on that eternity. Let me remind you once more of Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So parent heartily. Manage your home heartily. Work on your marriage heartily but let it all be as a result of setting your mind on things above and having full confidence that the weight of glory waiting for you will be far beyond all comparison. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know it took me months to study through all this and put this together. Um, And I pray that uh, your word today, that each of these women would... uh, hold on to the thing that you want most for them, that you want them to work on. Lord, I pray first and foremost that we would be reminded that you're worth our priority and that your sacrifice for us makes an eternal life even possible. Lord, help us to be thankful. 
Help us to set our minds on things above. And even in the midst of these busy, busy lives where there is so much going on here on earth right now, Lord, help these women to learn how to see the unseen, how to see the things that are truly important and to work on issues of the heart, both for themselves and for their kids. And Lord, help us all to put on love. Help us to work on it together as a church family and give us the strength in your spirit to obey you and to love you. In Jesus' name, amen.